Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, everyone. I'm William Hosea, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 17th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening. I'm Natalia Galvin, tonight's guest co-anchor. In simple terms, gerrymandering is when a political group tries to change a voting district to create a result that helps them or hurts the group was against them. Because both chambers of the Indiana legislature and the governorship are currently controlled by Republicans, single-party control over redistricting increases the risk of partisan gerrymandering. To be fair, both Democrats and Republicans have at times used some form of redistricting for their political advantages. Although the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled that redistricting that discriminates on racial or ethnic grounds is unconstitutional, it has been reluctant to issue a similarly strong ruling for partisan redistricting. The court has ruled that excessive partisan gerrymandering violates the Constitution. Two principal tactics are used in gerrymandering, cracking which is diluting the voting power of the opposing party's supporters across many districts. Uh, Did I say packing? I meant cracking. And packing is concentrating the opposing party's voting power in one district to reduce their voting power in other districts. In 2020, five separate redistricting bills were introduced in the Indiana legislature. Every bill died in committee, beginning with Senate Bill 293, This would have created a redistricting portal for citizens to draw maps and mandated joint hearings for more public input. House Bill 1024, Senate Bill 138, and Senate Bill 105 would have all created a redistricting commission to redraw state legislative and congressional districts. In addition, Senate Bill 87 would have created redistricting standards and ensured that the public had the tools to draw maps and a process to submit them for the legislature's consideration. And to help us gain new perspectives into Indiana's attempts at apparent racial gerrymandering and national efforts to adversely redistrict and adversely to suppress the rights of voters, We've invited two very knowledgeable guests. We have State Representative Cherish Pryor, Indiana House District, Caucus Floor Leader and a member of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus, and David Galvin, Director of Communications for the Winston Terrell Group. David has worked extensively on strategies to combat gerrymandering with the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus. And I also want to say my co-anchor, Natalia, is currently working on issues involving uh, gerrymandering, and she's very well-versed and brings a lot to the table tonight. And with that, Representative Pryor and Mr. Galvin, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you for having me, and glad to be back again. Thank you, too. I'm very, okay. very excited to be a part of this conversation. And David, of course, this is your first time with us. We're glad to have you. And uh, I want to add to Representative Pryor, every time we reach out to you, you always uh, accommodate us. You always say yes and come on and talk to us in our audience. So we really appreciate that. And I hope we uh, don't wear out our welcome. Never, ever at all. That's why I am here. And I appreciate the invitation each and every time. Okay, so I'm going to start off with you. In one of your statements on gerrymandering, you said, 
I think these when the maps were first drawn, you said these maps demonstrate voter suppression at its worst when you look at communities in Fort Wayne and Evansville. Based on these maps, the voices of black people in these communities cannot be well represented. Can you talk about that a little bit more, please? Oh, absolutely. Um, when we well, when the I will say the house um, maps for gerrymandering and dilution of the African-American vote, not nearly as bad as the Senate. The Senate maps were, I think, just absolutely egregious, particularly in Fort Wayne, as we had our um, meetings around the state of Indiana and even in Fort Wayne, people were consistent in saying they did not want to, uh, that they wanted to have better representation and they didn't want to have their districts and their communities divided up. Fort Wayne currently has three senators. um, And when the Senate drew the maps, they drew four senators in Fort Wayne. The population of Fort Wayne really, um, they could really get away with two senators representing that district. But how they drew Fort Wayne is that they have Fort Wayne in four districts and this, the part of Fort Wayne that has the majority of the African-American community is divided up into those four districts. The Senate said that they did that so that there will be more people representing Fort Wayne in the legislature. The problem is when you have a smaller percentage of African-Americans in a bigger district that goes well beyond the city limits of Fort Wayne and into some rural communities, and those voices of the African-American community are now a minority of a minority, the voices of Fort Wayne and the voices of, of those minority people will not be heard because those senators are going to be listening to the majority of the people who are in that district, and they're not black people they're not minorities so that was what is what happened with the senate or in fort wayne in evansville um the evansville community could also have just would also be well represented with one senator as well representing that entire community what the senate did was divided uh, the african-american community in evansville straight down the middle um, and so that divided the African-American and minority community into two districts, therefore diluting the vote of the African-American community. And when you look at the Senate maps, it's almost as if they took in Evansville, they just took a, a street and just drew it straight down the middle in Evansville. Um, and that is just totally egregious. Um, and the sad part about it all is that the Senate could have maintained their supermajority without diluting and cracking um, the minority community in Evansville and also um, the city of Fort Wayne and keeping those cities uh, um, more compact in their representation. And that that was the second part of your statement, which I was going to ask you about next, but you beat me to it. Okay. um, If if they could have maintained the majority, 
without diluting minority votes. I mean, if, if their supermajority was not threatened, then what, what are they after? What, what was the reason for that? I, you know, I, I can't speak for them. I can only make assumptions as to why that was done, you know, whether it was because they were trying to, you know, uh, uh, draw the districts for some individuals that they think may run in the future, you know, it could run the gamut of reasons as to why they did that. Um, but the reasons why they gave as far as they'll have more representation if there's more people representing them, I think a, a very flawed um, reason um, given uh, because if you're the minority, if there are more people that represent you, but you're the minority and for, for the, people who are who are representing you you still have no voice so uh, i can't get into it i can't get into the minds of the people that drew the maps but what i can say is um i think you know it was very very egregious um in what was done and in in pretty much uh, rendering people voiceless um particularly the african-american minority community in those uh two two cities uh, my, my question is for David. So David, can you tell us a little bit about your work um, on this issue and uh, what you see for the path forward uh, now that, you know, we have all these maps and what, what is your opinion and where we should go next with it? Uh, sure. And uh, to be clear, I, I work with, I worked uh, recently, but during the redistricting process, I worked with uh, Senator Taylor and the state Senate caucus uh, to work with them. Uh, to keep an eye out for this ty- these types of cracks and packs that they uh, were, in a- it was inevitable they were going to do some of it. Uh, uh, it just turned out, as the representative was saying, uh, it's it, some of them are just egregious. Um, and uh, we brought on a, a lawyer who was a who's an expert in redistricting, uh, with Bill Growth, uh, who's a longtime uh, defender of democracy uh, for all. Uh, and, uh, you know, even he was uh, surprised, you know, sh- was shaking his head about and scratching his head about why they would go about this, uh, this, this, this way they divided up Fort Wayne in particular, uh, is, um, I'm looking at the map as, as we speak. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, there are African-Americans in downtown Fort Wayne, uh, who uh, are represented by the same person who, uh, is, um, you know, who lives in Portland, Indiana. Uh, you know, so it's the, I don't know how the, what those communities have in common, um, but um, so uh, that was my work, and our primary work was was to run analysis uh, as the as the lines were being drawn, as the proposed lines came forward for the Republicans. Uh, we ran analysis to, to on uh, demographic and socioeconomic uh, variables for the districts as they were and as they were going to be. Uh, as they were proposed. And then we also, uh, with working with Bill, uh, were uh, taking a look at the lines to see if the Republicans were breaking any laws uh, in this and during the process. And, you know, and I, the representative probably speak to these these uh, points uh, better than I can. Uh, but they were basically, it comes down to like two rules that you can't break. Uh, they have to be contiguous uh, districts uh, and you have to, um, well, that's actually the only rule. And then the other is, is, is basically sticking to the, uh, 1968 Voting Rights Act 
uh, which doesn't really adhere uh, to the Indiana process, doesn't really apply. Uh, but you you can do some kind, you can um, bring lawsuits, I guess, to try to uh, to uh, correct some of the lines the way they've been drawn based on the 68. I am not a lawyer uh, based on the 68 Civil Rights Voting Act. But uh, um, I working with Bill, we in Fort Wayne, we we tried uh, we worked with some colleagues to redraw a district uh, that would be a, a majority minority district uh, in the area. And we came they came very close uh, within a few percentage points of being able to create one. And at the end of the day, uh, we couldn't do it, and therefore um, we couldn't. Um, we didn't see any legal path there uh, to uh, to to you know to take them to court uh, for this cracking of these communities. Um, and at the end of the day, I uh, Evansville was another one. I, Evansville, as as the representative said, I mean, you can see the line is drawn right through the communities, African American communities. Uh, and it's really something uh, what they did. And um, I, this, the representative has to, has to be more diplomatic uh, than I do. Uh, I, I think uh, to answer the one of the questions why, as uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think Republicans have kind of given up on democracy uh, and representation, fair representation, uh, and that these lines are drawn to maintain a major super majorities for um, an, at least another ten years. Um, the way some of the districts, state Senate districts, I can't really speak to the House districts, I'm not that familiar, but in state that Senate District 1, for example, by moving it further south, you increase the likelihood of more Republican vote, not maybe right now, but definitely as the future comes. Some of us have heard about the, since the redrawing of the first congressional district, they've made it more competitive, the RNC is targeting that. I don't see it changing now, currently. However, in four to six years, there definitely could be um, a change in the uh, type, the, the number of the ratio of voters. So, um, moving forward, um, Natalia, I, I just think that um, they've made it very difficult. Uh, that what they haven't done is is change, you know, on the ground levels and within cities. You know, the, I, I refer to it as a political infrastructure that needs to be put in place. And that infrastructure are lines of communication, the sharing of data and resources, so that parties, as we as we were, I came into politics and to uh, state politics in 2000, uh, where we had a majority in the House, uh, the governor. Uh, I think we held all of the other executive offices, uh, except maybe Department of Ed, and. Um, uh, they uh, the, there was a political infrastructure in place that had been put in in place over years and gener a generation or two, and now that is that has changed and, and started to fall apart to a degree. Uh, we lost mayors uh, in races uh, in the in recently, uh, and when you lose mayors, uh, you lose a, a concentration of political power, um, and as you lose those, you start to break down those means of communication and networking, and 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 frankly. Um, donations and contributions. Uh, so in the, as we move forward in the future, as, as a Democrat, uh, I, I hope that our focus is on rebuilding that political infrastructure, first in places where we're already strong and make them even stronger, and then spread out that model, that, that, that uh, lessons learned from each community to each community so that we can rebuild and involve people of color and uh, in more and, and women uh, in, poli in the political process and in the 
and bringing them into the system. I've seen it change over 20 years. I'm sure uh, Representative Pryor has two uh, more women involved, more people of color. Uh, in the, but, but as you get out into the hinterlands of Indiana, uh, where I'm from, Clinton County and, and things, it had the, the, a lot of the political structure um, have, they haven't changed. And, and, they, and for us to be able to counter what these folks have done to us, uh, to Hoosiers, um, that's what we need. We need, in my opinion, um, that's what we, we need to be aiming for. Natalia? Uh, Representative Pryor, I would I would kind of ask a, kind of a similar question to, to kind of piggyback off that. David kind of mentioned that he was focused on the Senate. Um, and, and I think you even mentioned that the Senate, um, you saw some more problematic, um, uh, you know, things with the Senate, but the House still has its own struggles, too. How uh, would you say that um, looking at the House side also? Um, you see commonalities to what what David had found with the Senate, and then what do you see the path forward being? Um, so with the House, um, when the the maps that we have, the uh, the twenty nine um, Democrats, those maps for the twenty nine Democrats um, remained safe. They didn't put any Democrats together. Um, they didn't put any Democrats or any Democrat incumbents in, in seats with the Republicans. Um, some of them, I think Phil Giaquinta, the uh, minority leader, his district uh, lost some Democrats, but it's still a majority. And so with the, the, the House, um, our, our maps were, the situation was totally uh, was certainly not nearly as bad as Democrats. Now, to be fair, um, the Democrats, we have the potential of picking up a couple of more seats um, because they did draw some seats, um, one seat in Fort Wayne that is a more competitive seat than that's the opportunity for us to pick up. And then there's also a seat uh, in Bloomington quite frankly, um, down there where you all are, um, that's currently held by um, uh, Jeff Ellington, um, that is more of a 50-50 seat. And I think that he said that he was going to move and run in another district because that district uh, is so competitive um, in Bloomington. So as Democrats in the House, we actually have an opportunity to pick up a few more seats based on the maps that were drawn um, uh, uh, in the house. Now, unfortunately, um, uh, I think that some of us still have super safe seats, uh, where we, you know, that we're 70% Democrat and, or 80% Democrat versus, um, having more competitive, uh, type seats where, you know, the most that any of us would have would maybe be 60%. Democrat, uh, Republican, um, or Democrat. Um, so I, so for us in the house, um, you know, we would certainly have wanted to have more, a better opportunity to pick up more seats. Um, but there is nothing in the house came as close to what happened in the Senate. I want to throw this next question out to both of you. Um, one option that the, the Democrats have is the courts. But the courts can be very time consuming. And can we litigate our way out of this? And then uh, also, 
What is your opinion about how the courts have weighed in on these uh, issues so far? So, you know, I'm not an attorney. Um, I think that if if I were to file a lawsuit, um, I, I think I would start over in the Senate because of the way they drew um, and diluted and, and, you know, just really it almost took a hammer to a glass and shattered Fort Wayne into four pe- uh, into four districts. Um, for the House, um, I don't anticipate that we will be filing a lawsuit on our maps. I think we would have probably a, a more difficult time um, than what the Senate would have if they were to file a lawsuit. And I don't you know, I haven't had conversations with uh, Senator Taylor to see what his thoughts are with that. Um, I do know that there are some lawsuits that are going on uh, around the country uh, based on how uh, some of the maps uh, are drawn. Uh, the ACLU um, is going to be filing some lawsuits in some communities because of how the maps are drawn. I, I don't I have not heard um, that they are looking to take on Indiana, uh, the, the Indiana uh, ACLU is looking on taking on taking up our. Uh. Yes, I, I I agree, and um, you know our our analysis. You know Fort Wayne, there were a number of areas. Lafayette, the Tippecanoe County split of West Lafayette and Lafayette was a, was another district, um, an area we looked into. Evansville, we looked closely into. Um, and the other area was, because we looked at so many, I have to look at my list here, uh, West Lafayette, Fort Wayne, and the Evansville areas where we primarily focused our, our efforts. Uh, and um, both the, the analysis and the legal analysis of them all. And, and um, on our, and at least in our, and um, our, our team came to the decision that the, the one that, that had the closest, if you will, chance to being, um, there being a lawsuit was the Fort Wayne area, but in the end, we did, they our analysis is, is that it doesn't. Um, you could take it to court, but you probably your chances of winning are extremely slim. Um, so they they knew what they were doing when they they drew these lines. Um, you know, some of these lines were drawn and then redrawn. Uh, for the Fort Wayne lines did get moved a, a little bit uh, at after I don't remember at what point, uh, but after the first draft was for the Senate came down. They redrawn that one and also a state Senate district lines in Southern Marion County, I believe. Um, I think that was the other one that they, they redrew. Um, but again, they didn't move it by much. It was just enough uh, to, if you will, stay out of trouble. And so that they can you know, state what, they, that, what the representative said their, their, their reasoning was um, and, and be able to just make that a blanket statement for everywhere. It seems egregious to everyone else, but them. So... Unfortunately, at, our, at least on our take on things, we, we don't see a, a path through the courts to, to remedy this problem. I think something uh, Representative Pryor said um, about looking at opportunities like 62, um, Representative Ellington's um, seat that he's vacating to move to um, face uh, Representative Borders, right, and make that um, contest that seat um, and look at 62 and how uh, in the 50-50 areas you know, places like Monroe County can really dig in 
and see um, how we can, you know, feel the best campaign we can to win that seat for the Democrats. Um, kind of going along that, uh, you had um, groups like Common Cause and League of Women Voters, um, NAACP local chapters, um, just a lot of uh, nonpartisan groups getting together, trying to fight for fair maps um, and really kind of making this their uh, focus, you know, for the past couple of years, what would you say to uh, nonpartisan groups? How would you, where, where would you ask them to pivot, right? Because uh, we're talking about maybe the lack of, um, the lack of options uh, in the courts, you know, that maybe we can't really sue to do that next step. What, where would you guide um, people who are looking to see how they can help uh, besides working in uh, is 62. And maybe that's the answer. So I'd love to hear from both of you uh, where you would see that pivot from constituents that really, um, you know, just had been working on this map issue. Well, um, I would say that um, people still need to uh, get people registered to vote and make sure that they go to the polls and vote. Um, and even though um, the legislature, it may be more difficult for, for Democrats to pick up seats. Uh, the Republicans did draw a potential pickup for the Senate in the in Marion County. So the Senate, they may have an opportunity to pick up one seat. Um, and quite frankly, there's been a lot of people showing a lot of interest in that district. Um, but I think that people... Um, need to continue to try to get people registered to make sure people go to the polls and vote. Um, there are a lot of people in Indiana that do not vote. And if we could at least get people to the point where Democrats are not in a super minority, that would be a game changer for everybody, uh, for all Hoosiers in the state of Indiana. Um, and we will be able to get, I think, a lot more uh, better public policy if we are able to get to that point. Um, so and the other things um, someone had mentioned about the mayors, you know, the mayors and the school boards and the city county councils and the county commissioners. Those are still opportunities um, for Democrats to run and win if people were to get out and vote. Um, and even as those maps are going to be redrawn too, because all of the maps are going to have to be redrawn. The council maps are going to have to be drawn. The county commissioners, the school board, all of them are going to have to be redrawn. However, there's still opportunity for Democrats to pick up a win at the local level. Um, and also from a statewide perspective as well, um, there's still opportunity for Democrats to um, to win some of those seats if we get out and vote and register people and they come to the polls on election day. I can't I can't agree more. Um, I think that uh, in the state Senate districts, they, they drew a couple. Right? Senate District 31 is a potential opportunity there. I mean, it's it's a little bit tighter. I mean, it's a guy gap between Republican and versus Democrat. Uh, but Senate District 26, I believe, uh, includes Muncie and Winchester. Uh, when they redrew that lines, it was interesting. It's like 28 to it's like 30, 30 Republican Democrat in the area. 
uh, and for that that area, which is was interesting to me when I saw the redrawing of those lines. I, I didn't think they would do anything that close, <laughs> especially out in that area. Uh, but that was, um, I believe, that was Senator Lannon's uh, old district. They completely Frankenstein it. Uh, but um, there's a, there's an area. But to uh, the representative's point, uh, voter voter registration has has got to be uh, a priority. Uh, and in my opinion, it needs to be targeted in areas to where you know you're going to get Democrats to vote. Um, and we've run analysis recently uh, for a couple of counties, and then I decided to run the analysis for the state. There are uh, 326 precincts in Indiana where there are more Democrats than there are Republicans. However, in all of those districts but two, the Republicans win those precincts. And and there's a there's a there's a core group of voters in politics. We refer to them as strong voters or high fidelity voters, high propensity voters. In those districts, uh, those 300 plus districts, or excuse me, precincts, there are more Republican uh, high fidelity or strong voters than there are Democrats. Yet there are more Democrats overall than there are Republicans, and we lose those. We continue to lose those precincts. Uh, and we, and in my opinion, it comes down to outreach and targeting, um, because we we Democrats are used to this term of uh, the uh, allocation of scarce resources. <laughs> um, we we don't have you know, there aren't troves of, of cash flowing in from outside interest groups and things like the, our, our Republican counterparts and friends do. Uh, uh, but um, but there's a there's a there's a there's a part of the campaigns that need to be rethinking how they focus their uh, where they where they put their um, uh, their resources because those districts we should be those precincts should be ours we those should be Democrat voted pre voting precincts and there's there's no doubt about it but for some reason we've lost interests uh, of people in some of those areas and we need to get back in there and and fire them up and get them to the polls because if they show up we'll, we can start to turn some of these a district that's thirty thirty out there that includes Muncie with a relatively large African-American population of voting block, uh, getting into those that community, getting into the surrounding communities and changing the math, if you will, in those areas with new voters uh, and engaging them uh, and mobilizing them to the polls. We'll, 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 def we'll, we'll, turn, the, we'll turn the tide here. Uh, it takes time and it takes work, uh, but um, uh, we've, 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 got, we've, got, we've got time and uh, we definitely have a lot of fired up people out there these days. So we need to take advantage of it. Sorry about that. I was muted. For our listening audience, we're speaking with State Representative Cherish Pryor, Indiana House Democratic Caucus floor leader and a member of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus. And along with her, we're speaking with David Galvin, Director of Communications for the Winston Terrell Group. Um, David, I want to go back to you real quick. On this issue of gerrymandering and redistricting, how does... Indiana compare nationally? Uh, we are one of the worst. Yeah. If I remember, we are second or third uh, when it comes to the gerrymandering of, of state legislature, congressional um, lines, uh, districts. Um, Indiana seems to be, and the representative is, you know, has a front row seat to this, unfortunately, we're, we're in her position in office, but um, 
the the Indiana Republican Party is has done everything it can to um, make their a state in, in their image, I guess, and um, they um, they've done a bang up job of of really um, not just this time around really cracking and and in some essence packing some districts uh, and diluting people's voices and and in essence our, our Indiana democracy, in my opinion. Um, but they've also done a job on public education and local communities. And um, I, uh, I, I work firsthand with a lot of school districts and see the, uh, the toll taken on them by um, with the, the funding formula and whatnot. So um, they, we've done a, um, they've done a, they've done a very good job of doing whatever it is they want to accomplish. <laughs> I can't tell you when I worked at the DOE briefly, I was always asked why, why would they, why do they, why are, why are, why are the Republican party, why are they doing this? Why are they, you know, defunding public education for, for just for one example. And I, I, I really, I, you can dream up all kinds of answers, but, uh, but I, that I can't really nail it down other than a desire to um, really want to exert power uh, and to and to and to have a lasting, um, you know, um, uh, long-term power grab on the on the state. Uh, so and and unfortunately, sir, it, it's not just our gerrymandering that we are yeah. uh, terrible in. It's a, a variety of our environment, the health of the people, uh, you know, our democracy, our engagement of of of, of people, and getting and re-registering to vote, and then voting. That's another factor, right? I mean, you got to one thing to register to vote. That's another thing to vote. Uh, so um, th- that's um, they. They th- at the end of the day, they've taken. I can I can be on this soapbox for a while. At the end of the day, they've taken us down a, a bad path. Not in many other things, and this what they've done recently in the gerrymandering is is just um, um, you know par for the course in their their desire to do what it is whatever they want to do with the state of Indiana. Not make us number one <laughs> at the top, but maybe at the bottom. Yeah, the race at the bottom. Uh, Representative Pryor, your thoughts. Um, I'm sorry, state the question again. Um, I think I asked, yeah, I got it. Where does Indiana, how does Indiana compare nationally? Um, I think David pretty much summed it up. Um, we have some of the worst numbers out there as far as gerrymandering. We have some of the worst numbers out there for the percent of people even that uh, vote. Um, I think part of that is um, the fact that that our races are not as competitive. If you think about when um, the race for governor is called, um, it's pretty much called immediately when the polls close at six o'clock. And so that voter participation is, you know, one of the worst in the countries. And and even though we are one of the worst out there, being in the legislature, we still have uh, and see sometimes bills that put more restrictions on getting people and making it easier for people to come out and vote. Um, and so when you're continually having those type of things, um, we're always we're always going to be bad. I mean, we were the first state, state to have uh, the requirement to show a uh, photo ID. Um, and that went all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court, unfortunately, upheld that. 
Um, but so we're constantly fighting, trying to make voting more accessible, even extending the, the time for people um, to be able um, to vote, uh, keeping the polls open longer. Um, that is something that's, you know, pushed back consistently. Um, so we had fights trying to, to get satellite voting. And so, you know, we're constantly, um, constantly at the bottom of everything, um, that is good and always at the top of everything that is bad when it comes to voter participation, um, and elections. If I can, if I can add to what the representative is saying, another another thing that has been that has happened in 2017 was a, a purge of 720,000 voters. Um, our analysis, I did some analysis uh, with a with a nonprofit uh, in uh, 2018 about uh, looking into that data uh, and to see who those voters were. And a large majority, and I I won't speak to the exact point because I don't want to be uh, wrong here. I'll say over 60 percent. Of the uh, voters that were purged were um, were folks who registered to vote in the uh, spring of 2008 um, and voted in 2008 and then didn't vote again um, ever <laughs> to the to what we could see at least not on any larger uh, like midterm congressional or presidential elections uh, and those folks seem to be the lion's share I'll say about 80 percent of them were the lion's share of the folks that were purged in 2017. Uh, so uh, that was done <laughs> also. And you know what, and that's very interesting. So I'm learning, you have a lot of good information, David. Um, and so we've, if you think about 2008, that was the first year that I was elected. That was also the year that President Obama was elected president and President Obama won Indiana. So a good way to make sure that Democrats don't win statewide um, in, in, or even pres a presidential election is, you know, we have another dynamic person on the ballot that gets the energy and a presidential candidate that wants to spend time and money in Indiana, like President Obama did, um, we'll have to go back and try to get those people's uh, back registered to vote again. That's right. Well, kind of um, bridging off that, um, first, I want to brag about uh, Representative Pryor for a second, because I am um, one of uh, Monroe County's Hoosier Women Forward alums. So Hoosier Women Forward is, and I'll, I'll let her kind of speak about that, but she's the chair of this group. But I think um, I wanted to mention that because I think groups like that uh, really are important uh, to what we're talking about too, that it's like, how do we engage like the next generation of leaders or uh, just leaders in general statewide in Indiana in all these districts, first through ninth congressional district are represented in order to help do the work too. So uh, I think a little bit of what um, uh, you both were saying was getting out the vote, not only making sure people are registered to vote, but also that they get to the polls and they uh, and they, they actually vote. Um, so tomorrow or uh, on Friday, December uh, 10th 
is um, another hat that I wear. Sorry, I'm just a little disjointed. Another hat that I wear is I'm on the State Central Committee for the Indiana Democratic Party. I am one of the uh, voters for the Indiana uh, Latino Democratic Caucus. And uh, tomorrow or the on the 10th of December is the um, Indiana Democratic Party's State Central Committee meeting where we vote on the budget. So uh, in a hypothetical situation, if we had an unlimited budget what would you like to see to help us increase um, not only voter registration, but voter turnout, especially in the districts and the areas that really need us the most? So if I could give you like an unlimited uh, either staff or, or money, where, where would you want to see these resources go in order uh, to put us in the best position we can for not only 22, but also 24 selection cycle? Well, I would say um, I would spend part of that money on um, data research um, and polling. And you know what? Let me let me take that back and not say necessarily polling. Um, I would say focus groups where we're actually knowing and understanding what the people really want. I think it's with the polling. Um, I think that's really us trying to, to get from people what we think is important. Whereas if we're doing focus groups and forums, we're learning organically and really have opening the door to let people tell us what they're really concerned about and what their issues are. So we're not spoon feeding them the issues that we think are important. I think the Democrat party um, we get sometimes caught up in what we may think is important, but if we're wanting to grow our base, if we're wanting to grow our numbers, we can't continue to focus on the communities and areas that we already have. We're going to have to pick up more suburban voters, and we're going to have to pick up uh, the rural, some rural voters, and we're going to have to pick up some seats in southern Indiana, places where we really don't have much representation. And so since none of us really represent those constituencies, we are going to, we need to hear from those individuals. Um, so I will spend some money there. The other place that I will spend some money is on a marketing team, a marketing team that can really help us um, craft a good message because Democrats, uh, Republicans are really good with the short sound bites. They're good with the elevator speeches. 30-second elevator speech. They're great at that. You ask a Democrat something, we want to explain the background. We want to give all the details. And before the person gets off the elevator, we we haven't gotten out one sentence. And so we really need, I think, a marketing strategy that is going to allow us to be very short, succinct, and to the point on what we as Democrats stand for. Because the Republican Party has done a great job defining who we are. We have not done a great job defining who we are, and we do a horrible job defining who they are. Republicans are good at lying, too. I'll say it. I'll say, I don't have to be diplomatic. It's amazing how, you know. What's well, a lie to one person and the truth to the other. Yeah. Um, if yeah. I had an un, if I had an unlimited budget, uh, I would I would make sure that the party is sharing data, because a person who runs for sheriff 
and places yard signs and areas of, with uh, yard signs don't doesn't sound like a big deal, right? But but a person who if you're running for sheriff in a county and you know families and you know the great corners where to put yard signs, that location, David Galvin, for example, at one the corner of 105 and Main Street, I should be hit up by everyone, including the congressional races and, to, and everyone else. Uh, and it should be a no-brainer that the data is shared across, as long as it's legal, because I don't know if state can share data with con congressionals or not, uh, but gubernatorial candidates, whomever is running, should have access to to data. It has to be shared. Uh, so I know numerous cases I can name, think of half a dozen right now where people are running for office in an area that is inside another area, another political area that has great data, but that data isn't shared. So the, who the volunteers were, who the strong voters were, who the early voters were, the people who needed rides to the polls, that data is known by one person and everybody else who was within that district who runs for office and even a constituent who is even incumbent doesn't have access to that data. So I think everything that the representative said mm -hmm. is, is needed. Uh, marketing is we need that desperately. Uh, there is a great application of data of technology that we I think we still need to embrace. Uh, and then uh, that all, I think, starts to come together when then you start sharing that data, that information across the our political ecosystem, then you start to see people in, empowered with, with data and information. And with those things, you can fundraise and you can canvas better and you can be more targeted with mail and, and whatever you want to do in your campaign. You know, you, I'm sorry, go thank, ahead. David, thank you for bringing that up about the sharing of data. I think uh, the parties, um, or I won't say parties, but I think, all of the caucuses in, in the party, they do not do a good job sharing that information. Um, and, you know, economies of scale where, you know, I shouldn't have to reduplicate something if someone else has it. If we're all in this together, we're all a team, then it, the information that I have, if it'll be beneficial to you, should be shared. Um, it just it's a waste of resources and we don't get nearly as much money as Republicans. So the more we can work together and share information, the better we are, we can utilize the, the scarce resources that we have. So I think that's an excellent point, David. And I think that you need to hammer that home to every single Democrat there is out there. I will. You know, I totally agree with that as well, because I, I go to the church of work smarter, not harder. Mm. I hate to cover the same real estate twice, so, you know, Amen. duplicate my efforts. But listening to the last couple of uh, uh, questions uh, and answers gave me a couple of more questions. Um, David, you mentioned that if we can convince more Dems to get out and vote, that we could win some more elections. How important is it to flip Republican voters? <clears throat> It's hard to flip Republican voters. Um, it's, it is the, no, I, I will say this. Remember I told you there was a district, that state Senate district 26, where it was, it's 30 to 30 Republican and Democrat. Yeah. Can you tell our, is, our listeners where 26 is? Uh, sure. Uh, uh, 26 is um, basically it's Madison County and the county just to the east of it. Uh, and uh, I've drawn a blank on the name of the county. I have my map in front of me. I bet you Natalia knows my, what it is. Fail my geography test of the day. 
Well, go ahead and help him out, Natalia. I, I normally, William, you're normally correct, but I'm not with the back of my maps today. So you're give not, me a second. You're not yeah. in the war room tonight. I'm not in my know, war room today. I know it's Winchester and Muncie. Oh, okay. okay. Excuse me. It's Winchester and Muncie. Uh, that district, uh, I in my data source that I use, uh, we compile and collect data. It's 28 to 28. It's 28 to 29. Democrat 28, Republican 29. The group that we need to focus on is the 30 the 42% that are nonpartisan voters. These are folks who do not put, uh, vote in primaries. Um, my company, uh, we, we are able to model, uh, build models and be able to predict how those folks may be voting with a pretty de- certain degree, a pretty high degree of accuracy. Um, so that is the group that we need to focus on because they're not so partisan to get up on a Tuesday in May and go vote Democrat, pull a Democrat or a Republican uh, ticket or ballot. So they are um, they are the switch voters, the, the switchers. And there's a number of terms, independent voters, I guess is another way you could say. Uh, but those that is the audience. That is the group I think we need to be focusing on. We also, I, I, as I've said earlier, we have 300 plus di- precincts out there where there are more Democrats than Republicans and yet the Republicans win. So we need to be lifting that group up as well, uh, maybe targeting some of those areas with uh, more uh, intense uh, voter registration initiatives. But I think uh, to speaking to uh, Representative Pryor's uh, wish uh, for more marketing I would be targeting those nonpartisan voters and digging into that data because it's there to see who is more likely to uh, to pull a Democratic ballot um, and and be able just to focus your resources on on those voters. I think that's the only way you can start to turn it around. What about down ballot races? Do they factor in in there at all in increasing voter turnout? They can, yes, uh, because they're they're on the ground. They have less funds, so they're not doing digital marketing. They're not doing large mail campaigns. They're on the ground, knocking on doors, going to events. Uh, a lot of retail politics, traditional political pol- political uh, outreach. So yes, they have a. They are they are very important uh, from tr- the trustees, the county councilors, the, the uh, commissioners, the coroners. Uh, all of those folks are out there shaking hands and, and talking. The thing that needs to happen, and it's hard to do in a state as diverse as Indiana. I see Indiana as like three states. It's like Chicago, Kentucky, and then kind of an Iowa, Ohio thing in the middle. Um, so, but, so that's not an easy thing to do. A good marketing team could, could, uh, solve probably some of those, those issues that I, I can't wrap my head around. Uh, but those folks need to be on a common message, whether that's jobs, whether that's, you know, government, you know, transparency, whatever the issue may be, what is important to a person in Winchester, Indiana might not be what's important to a person who isn't too far away in Muncie. So we need to figure out where what is important to these folks and be talking to them about that because Democrats cover that. We are, I don't care what the Republicans say, we are and have been, always have been the, the party of the, of the working class. And uh, so I think that we need to reinstill that. We, we used to, we, Dem- I'm cherished, uh, Pryor, Representative Pryor, you know, I mean, Kokomo was a Democrat bastion. It was mm-hmm. democratic, Democrats, Democrats, union guy and men and women voting democratic. And 
It is absolutely, and in, in I, in 2007, when I worked with Mayor Goodnight's campaign, he was the, uh, he came in, the, I think he was the first Democratic mayor in I think eight years, I think it was, maybe it was 12. Uh, and we came in and we won, he won not only the mayor's office, but we also won every seat but one on the city council. Uh, we won clerk. We had, uh, we had, we were really doing great. Ron Harrell, Representative Ron Harrell at the time was there. Now, Senator Buck, who's, I don't know, I think he was there when they founded the town or something. That's why he keeps getting his seat. Uh, but, um, but those guys, but th that changed. It changed. And uh, I don't know if it's because we start and, you know, people start to not hear from Hoosier Democrats. They start to hear from Washington, D.C., New York, California Democrats, and they start to paint us as like we are like them uh, and we're not. Uh, we, we want the same things for people, but we, we our priorities are obviously different in Indiana than they are in New York and L.A. So um, I, I think that the local folks, those those guys out there, uh, running for those local offices, uh, they they need to understand. They need to have some kind of talking point base that they can deliver. That then, when Representative Pryor is up speaking on and gets on the news, or Senator Taylor is talking, there so you start to hear the same messaging out there. Uh, so that would be um, they are they are vital to the expansion, uh, re-expansion, I guess, of the of the Democratic Party and the and the fabric of the rest of the outside of Indianapolis, at least the fabric of the state. I agree. Natalia, uh, did you have a question? I, I had one one final one. So I was uh, just looking at um, some of our uh, numbers too. And I don't know, maybe Dave, David, you could, and Representative Pryor can speak to this. Uh, we were also looking at some of our numbers in our black and brown areas, right? In Lake County and in Marion County, especially seeing the disparity in the turnout with East Chicago, Hammond and Gary uh, in comparison to the St. John, that suburban Lake County area too. Um, if we're talking about getting out the vote, what are some ideas that you might have um, for for that uh, for that outreach? Also, uh, does it maybe does it look like our precinct committee people like strengthening that? Um, is it is it just um, like more focus groups too? Would you extend it to to like our black and brown communities also? Like, how can we do better um, in those communities and getting out the vote and doing that outreach work too? I think that um, part of it is. Um, the the marketing piece in making sure that we have good candidates out there that um, is is going to join the door to door, um, meeting people where they are, and getting people energized and engaged and speaking to the needs of those people, and asking for um, their votes. Um, it's difficult. People people are more inclined to come out and vote and support you if you knock on their door, if they know that you at least came by their home uh, and attempted to, to meet them, they're more inclined to, to come out uh, and vote. And so, and, and I think, you know, going back again to having a good, strong message that's energizing um, people where they're saying they feel strongly enough to say, I want to go out and vote for this person because they're going to make my life better. And David, we got about uh, three minutes left. So if you want to chime in there real quick, please. Yep. Uh, voter registration, voter registration. I think um, I, um, I did some analysis in 2012 uh, for the 
couple of party or excuse me, a couple of uh, candidates that were running statewide. Uh, and one of the things that we found is, is that the, the ratio of, of Hispanic voters, uh, eligible voters in Lake County and Marion County were relatively very close and similar. Uh, what the difference was is that nearly 40 percent of those folks had been uh, registered in Lake County and only about 23 percent of them been registered in, in, in Marion County. And then on the turnout, it was a very high in Lake County. I don't remember what it was, it was very high. But in, I remember that in Marion County, it was only four percent that turned out to vote. So I would say engagement and more voter registration and more engagement. OK, and that's about all we have time for. You know, this is a, a, a really complicated issue, and we want to thank you for uh, helping us to unpack it and get a better understanding of it. Of course, we always have Natalia to help us out, too. And on that note, we want to thank State Representative Cherish Pryor, Indiana House Democratic Caucus, and David Galvin, Director of Communications for the Winston Terrell Group, for joining us to shed light at apparent racial gerrymandering in Indiana and national efforts that adversely affect redistricting and suppressing the rights of voters. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Also, if you have an event or happening that the African-American community should know about, please send that info directly to our staff. Or if you want more information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight, here's our email address again. Bring it on at WFHB.org. Bring it on's executive producer is Clarence Boone. Assistant producer is William Hosea. Show consultant and WFHB News Department Director is Cade Young. Program engineer is Chantal LaFontant. Original theme music was created by Jamil Effium with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Natalia Galvin. And I'm William Hosea. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.